Hi, and welcome to the Sexy Aging Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Monoknuku. This podcast covers conversations with experts, journalists, writers, entrepreneurs, doctors, and kick-ass humans making the most of their midlife. We talk about menopause a lot. My personal messed up menopause journey was the catalyst to this podcast, and so I hope I can help you navigate your way through midlife and menopause with more information and education than I had. Since launching the podcast, I've written a book, My Menopause Memoir, available on Amazon, an online course for menopause management to help you navigate your menopause journey, and a fitness and wellness app for the menopause woman. There are gym-based and home-based strength training sessions, short hit workouts, yoga for stress and sleep, as well as specific mobility, balance, agility, and core training sessions. You'll also receive a daily menopause management tip and be able to start a conversation with me, all in the app. You can find all of these tools at the Sexy Aging website. All the links are in the show notes, including discounts to the course, free sign up to the app, and discounts to products that I endorse. I'm back. Bit of a break between episodes because I went on holiday. So today's interview with Emily Joyal is a topic I know very little about, surgical menopause. So I'm about to have an education. Emily has had a hysterectomy and shares her experience with surgical menopause and I'm so grateful for her honesty and vulnerability. Since I've been floating around the menopause conversation and hosting communities and workshops, the question on what happens to a woman's hormones post-hysterectomy has been posed numerous times. I hope for anyone that is about to go through this experience or has already that this episode helps you. And the next episode, I'm speaking with a menopause specialist on this exact topic, double whammy. And welcoming today to the Sexy Aging Podcast, I have Emily Joyal. She is a woman's health advocate and founder of Surgical Menopause New Zealand. Now, I just before I hand over to Emily to tell us about herself, I just personally want to say I know nothing about this topic. And obviously, I've been doing the podcast for a while, but um, and I get women frequently requesting, um, can you tell me more about surgical menopause or I'm going to have a surgical um, process and what is that going to do to my hormones and I get the questions and of course I'm not the doctor so lucky to have doctor friends to answer the questions but um, having Emily on the podcast today I'm really grateful Emily Um, it's a very very vulnerable conversation and um, I appreciate you so much so thank you for coming on the podcast and tell us a little bit about yourself well thank you for having me um, yeah, it is my first time talking out loud, <laughs> particularly on, on record uh, about my, my story. Um, so I'm, I've got an accent, as you might be able to say, to tell. So I'm a French-Canadian from Quebec, and uh, I arrived in New Zealand in 2016 at the end of the, the year. So it's been six years already. And uh, I came to be very far away from my home so I could be uh, out of my comfort zone and just uh, practice my English and be out of uh, my uh, my routine and just see how I could thrive on my own. And um, I extended my stay, eventually met someone 
and got married. And uh, so I've been here since. Um, yeah, that's that's a, in a nutshell. That's the story. Oh, that's great. And so a little bit about your background. You have a background anthropology, journalism. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, tell us about that. So was that while you were studying in or working in Canada? So, yeah. I'm, I'm one of those that never really actually found their career and kind of stumbled upon administration more as a um, a way to pay my bills and yeah. while I was studying. So I, I've always been passionate about learning about all sorts of things. So finding one thing was difficult. And so I did a degree in anthropology, which is the study of humans and different aspects of humans. Um, and I was aiming at archaeology and history before, but then I was kind of more interested in the social modern approach of things and how we deal with different um, realities. I was particularly interested in um, subcultures and different parallel universes, like, um, but I never got around to do a master in it. And I moved along and I did philosophy and then I yeah. did is the journalism and by the end before I left Canada I was into oh I, I might want to do a documentary like doing into into movies and stuff so I was exploring that and that's where I that's when I, I landed here oh and cool <laughs> yeah I, I, felt, I fell back onto um anthropology just to uh, not anthropology, administration, just to make a living. And I did all sorts of odd jobs in New Zealand as well, <laughs> that stuff that I hadn't done in, in years, like housekeeping. and Yeah, because you can. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, but yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Hey, that's that's awesome. Um, so you're a lifelong learner. And one mm -hmm. of the things that I found interesting was that you said, you know, I haven't yet found the thing. But, you know, we've got quite a long time ahead of us <laughs> that's yeah. what I figured you yeah. know and I feel very similar I feel like oh you know for the longest time I stuck in this particular skill set and just in the last couple of years the the things that you can learn or teach yourself if you keep an open mind and realize that you've got such a long time ahead of you yeah. you never stop learning right so um, I have a feeling good things are happening for you, Emily. <laughs> it could be something like this. Anyway, I have a question. The first question for you is, um, what were the circumstances that led to the hysterectomy? And I believe you had a full hysterectomy, um, yeah. the surgery that you had. So if yeah. you can sort of frame what yeah. led to that process. Yes, for sure. Um, so... I had some symptoms that were bothersome for a while, which were um, bleeding and bleeding and cramping between my periods and during my periods quite heavy and also started to have bleeding um, during sex and after. And so it was getting kind of worrisome. So I, I went to investigate that and did an ultrasound and decided to be um, aiming towards endometriosis. Yeah. And that was worrisome for me because I've, I've heard about it but I never thought it would apply to me and so we investigated that a bit further down and I, I did an MRI and then it became a bit more uh, severe they were uh, they found bilateral um, masses on my ovaries so both of them were uh, not in a good shape um, and so I was the endometriosis quite 
took the backstage and suddenly it was uh, the oncology team that stepped in. And so I live in Rotorua, but I was um, consulting with the team in Auckland. So, um, yeah, so they, they explained to me that I needed to do something and they couldn't diagnose what was happening and unless going in and having a sample. So I was faced with two options, which were um, going for the full on, we're taking everything out and you won't have a second surgery, which meant that I would end up in menopause or I would have a fertility preservation surgery, which would be we take out one of your ovaries and then we might or might not try to do a cystectomy, which is just removing uh, the disease part of the ovary and trying to preserve some kind of fertility. Um, and maybe uh, once the results are back, go or not go back to do a second surgery. And so it was in September 2021 that I decided to um, cave in <laughs> and accept the surgery. Um, so the surgery, you decided to go for the full removal? Yeah, yeah. Big I, decision there. It was, it was really, really tough. Um, the first ultrasound I had was in May and like four months later I had the surgery. Um, but yeah, I, I dragged my feet a lot and I asked a lot of questions and I was not clear on, it was not clear to me. The information wasn't clear and I was just confused and very much in shock and everything was surreal to me. Like this is happening. What does it mean to me? Um, yeah, it, it does make you sort of have to dig down and figure out a whole lot of things about your life, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how old were you, Emily, when this, sorry, if you don't mind me asking, how old were you when this happened? I was 39. I was, um, so I had a surgery like a month after my 40th birthday. <laughs> I didn't want to spend my birthday in hospital, so I postponed it a little bit. Great, um, great. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, you know, the 40s are supposed to be like the, the years that you're driving and you're, you're, you're feeling yourself and you just go for what you want. And now I, I'm just like dealing with a lot more than I expected. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sorry. Okay, yeah, no, I mean that, I mean, I'm a bit flawed actually by the, the lack of information that seems pretty obvious. <laughs> and I'm not gonna throw the medical system under the bus or anything because, you know, yeah. in a future, future episode, I'll be able to dive in and get a little bit more answers mm. to the to the medical part of it but so the information that you received on the surgical process prior to surgery it seems like you didn't get as much information as you would have liked to make an informed decision do you want to unpack that a little bit more how do you feel about that um i'm angry i'm i'm i'm, I'm feeling let down a lot um like i no doubt that the, the the doctors wanted to save my life and they yes. were going for the worst case scenario we need to protect you so there's something wrong with your ovaries you need to do something about it um and even though if they were like sugarcoating it that i might keep one it it very close like 
quickly looked like they they couldn't do it so and but it there was no conversations about menopause and the impact it would have on my life in terms of details like the only thing i heard about was hot flashes and potentially fatigue and then i would or would not if if my cancer or precancer was going to be um hormonal sensitive, I might not be able to, to have HRT, but if I, I was not, I would have like a low dose of antidepressant. And if I could have HRT, then I would be on it for a good 10, 12 years until I reached my natural age of menopause. And that was pretty much it. Um, no distinction, like nothing written on what to expect. It was the ongoing treatment. Um, Nothing about HRT management, uh, about other symptoms that I would encounter. Um, nothing about the fact that as a younger person, um, getting in surgical menopause would be potentially more severe in terms of symptoms. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, you go from estrogen to zero, right? Literally. Yeah. yeah. And that's the problem because once you get um, when you get a natural menopause, you know, you've got this transition of perimenopause, which takes like, think like around seven, 10 years or something. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't get that. Like overnight, I was just in menopause. So it was horrendous. And I do remember when I woke up in hospital, um, just the extent of a surgery was way more than I was supposed to have. Like they took out way more pieces than wow. I was hoping they would. Um, and and I had, like, I was worried about a scar that would be like 20 centimeter, ended up in 35 ones. So it's quite big. And it was especially really shocking to, to see that. And like, very quickly, I had like the in, intense hot flashes, like, wow. my whole, like, like, completely drenched in, like, felt like I was boiling. Like, you probably have experienced that before. Yeah, I have. <laughs> like repetitively and they would come in like very very frequent and then I was just super cold and so yeah and um I remember like feeling very 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 um you know desperate like like this this is it like I I kept wanting to hit the back button like <laughs> return I don't I don't want this anymore can can we go back because it was like this this shock of reality really realizing that um that might potentially be my life <laughs> and so yeah so this this came across as um being let down a lot by the the medical people um because their focus was on saving my life and not my quality of life um that was not as important to them but it is very important for the people that are going through this. And that's something that other women have mentioned. Like, you know, it's it's not that... It's the non-preparedness, right? Yeah. It's yeah. the lack of understanding, the lack of information. It's like, and that's why we're here. Yeah. yeah, and the lack of support that comes after it. Because after you're just... Like, I was told in my first time I met someone in Auckland, they told me that I should be referred to a medical specialist. But that never happened. So I I never saw anyone to discuss what would be menopause for me and what I would be doing in terms of treatment and uh, 
um, the ongoing care that I would need. So this really like, like, um, and I don't know if you can imagine, but it's 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 like you know that menopause brings up like a lot of anxiety and depression, and you've got mood swings and all sorts of of of. Um, but you've got that like overnight, like it was like, like I was really really in a dark place, and you just realize that you haven't been told everything, so you're losing trust in the people that are supposed to help you, and you're not sure do they actually know what they're doing? It doesn't. Yeah they do yeah. so um yeah that was that was difficult emily that's really hard to hear actually mm. um i just want to back up a, a bit for a question and i know that you've been open to any questions that i have mm. so um while you were in surgery you mentioned that they did more than you realized yeah how is that possible is there some sort of kind of pre conversation that says hey look in the event that we find more are you happy are you happy for us to sort that out as well like how how is that possible oh my god um i did sign a consent and those parts were mentioned as potentially removed but at the same time i'm i'm a bit embarrassed to say that i had not much knowledge about my body and um the importance of all my bits <laughs> so you know what you're not you're not alone emily yeah. we just we basically just don't talk about it enough and yeah. so you say you're embarrassed i think like a hundred percent of women at some point have felt the same about some situation about not knowing what's yeah. actually happening to their body just because we we sort of we just sort of see our vagina and our female bits as not to be discussed mm. yeah and it's just freaking annoying because it's our health and our life here. So, um, yeah, I can appreciate that you felt that way. And, you know, thanks for sharing that. So, yeah. The mainstream information on, on menopause is, is not that, like, it was not that, um, uh, I'll just say that, like, we didn't know that much about menopause to begin with. So, like, I didn't expect it to be that bad. <laughs> Yeah. and then asking more questions so yeah i had um so they removed my uterus my cervix um ovaries obviously the tubes uh i had uh, the omentum which is the, the the sort of a membrane that covers the organs um and then they, they took out my my appendix as well and i had um bowel reception so they took oh out my god my bowel so um yeah like 20 centimeter which is nothing in, when you look at the, the the size of the bowels but it's still it still has a quite a significant impact on on your body quality and of life <laughs> menopause symptoms yeah you know <laughs> it makes a really unpleasant mix yeah yeah so yeah and you've got all the recovery from the the, the big wound and the fact that your body has been like um it's a massive surgery um and i also was unlucky because i got some complications in the hospital which made me like just made it really horrendous like i had um, what they call an elis or eyeless um which is when your um your bowel is just like in shock and stop works stops working so so i was having nausea i couldn't eat for like a week so they ended up having to put a nasogastric tube 
and feeding me with liquid food because <laughs> I was just like, I shrinked uh, for a while. And then I also had a pneumothorax, which uh, required the drain. So yeah. that was pretty unpleasant. Wow. So it's very was, traumatic. Uh, yeah, right? I was supposed to be in hospital for three days and I was for 13 days. Wow. And it was right in the middle of um, the lockdown in Auckland. Yeah, I was actually thinking when you said <laughs> September 2021, that would be yeah, yeah during a lockdown, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's, uh, and yeah, and that was hard because obviously I'm not from New Zealand, so all my family is back home. So like it's it's hard enough to have to go through something that is challenging like that but without your support system it's just like that was that was horrible <laughs> yeah but yeah uh, made it true talking about support systems mm -hmm. um what kind of support were you given sort of in the hospital and then afterwards when you left like what what happens from there i mean do, do you have nurses mm -hmm. come around to visit or I, I don't know how this works. So what, what happens? You just set free? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, but I stayed longer than I was supposed to. So some some of the care that you normally do at home was done at the hospital. Yeah. So, uh, you've got the injection for um, prevention of blood clots. Yeah. So I had a, a few days left on my course when I came back home. Um, apart from that, I had follow-ups, but that was mostly my GP that took care of the rest. Uh, I still seen, uh, I was seeing the gynecology team at the hospital here. Um, but yeah, honestly, <laughs> I felt like I was a circus animal the first time I came to my follow-up, uh, that she was not, she was very curious about it's like I was a rare case. Yeah. Interested, but not that much for fast forward in, in, in helping and for suggesting any support. Um, that's when she told me about, because I was like plagued with uh, UTI symptoms. Yeah. It's just like, this is terrible. Like, what's happening? And she saw it's probably just vaginal dryness. Just take that. And <laughs> I had been like living like that for three months. Yeah. And I had done tests on my GP. No one mentioned that. And yeah. I was So it was like, okay, so. Because that's a I'm, symptom of menopause as well. It is. It is. Yeah. If I had known about it, I could have prevented it. Now, like, because like the time that I spent feeling very bad about this, um was not great and on top of it i know that you need to have an, a prevention aspect to it like the more more and more people are like you should just give her something because it's likely gonna happen so she can kind of limit the extent of this <laughs> symptom um, so that did not happen um i had follow-ups like that and i think they were planning on giving me follow-ups and only in every six months um, okay but i pushed to have them more closer so every three months and it was like um a sprint like every time i was going to see them i had a list of questions and symptoms yeah and a limited amount of time to address them and i'm 15 like 15 minutes <laughs> You're just brain fog. You're so not up for it because you're you're on yeah. like low estrogen. So you've I, I felt like David against Goliath. Like yeah. I was trying to you know 
And yeah. Just a heads up that if you're not already a subscriber to the Sexy Aging community, check out the link in the show notes. The website offers a free menopause symptom tracker and hosts the Menopause Management Online course. And there's a course discount for podcast listeners in the show notes too. I've also added the link to the Sexy Aging Fitness and Wellness app for Midlife Woman. There's new workouts every day, every week, nutrition tips, menopause symptom tips, and a great community of women working out together from all over the world. There is a free trial, and we would love to see you there working on your muscle strength, metabolism, core, mobility, and health for the rest of your life. So, um, before we get on to how you're feeling today, I want to move through post-surgical recovery, um, menopause symptoms that you've spoken of a few. So what were the key menopause symptoms that really impacted you, say, three to six months after surgery? Mm. The anxiety and depression was pretty, pretty low, like pretty intense. Like I, I was, I was very much suicidal um, and really, really in a dark place. Uh, lots of anxiety and impacted my sleep as well. I uh, started to um, wake up during the night more often. Um, like I use, I say surgical menopause is like the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, shit. <laughs> And, and everything that I had that was slightly not great but before surgery got just multiplied. So um, that was like, okay, so it's just, yeah. So these, I had still had steep problems, but it's just like it, it became a whole new level. Like now yeah. <laughs> I up all the time and then I couldn't like have deep sleep. Um, so obviously that impacts in a vicious cycle that impacts your mood. And the mood swings were pretty ups and down, like a lot. Like I was just crying my life out. <laughs> then I was like, let's go, you can do this. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. The joint pain, the fatigue, um, obviously all the problems with the, the digestive system that was recovering from all of that. Um, yeah, I think that was that was it. Like, and I had this the very stereotypical brain fog of going in a place and not knowing where I, where am I doing here. Yeah, yeah, that's quite funny, isn't it? You, I mean, I it's, it's, it's frustrating, but it's kind of brain, funny as well. Brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or well, I kind of use it now. If I arrive at a place and I'm there and I forget why I'm there, I'm like, oh, this is this is different <laughs> just, take, just take a different spin on it instead of beating yourself up every single time mm-hmm. um so how are you now and actually what 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 brought you to a place because we're having this conversation and you're obviously you've got a few feelings around it um the fact that you know you're angry that you didn't get the right information and support at the time um, yeah. But being prepared to talk about it means that you've obviously come through something that's mm-hmm. making you go, you know what, I don't want other women to experience this experience. Yeah. So talk to me about that process. And, you know, did you get any other kind of information or support um, to help you get here today? Yeah, so what I've done is like shortly after the surgery, um, I started to read about it as much as I could. 
because I was trying to understand what's happening to me. Uh, and I found a support group on Facebook for, um, it was based in the US, but it's uh, for international. And so I found a lot of information on there and, and it was really nice to have other women share their story. Um, I also found support on the cancer group support um, because obviously ovarian cancer before I knew it was or not a cancer. It was not in cancer. In my case, it was pre-cancer, but it was quite extensive um, and endometriosis as well. So I was reading on these groups, trying to find information and just frustrated because they were saying things and it was not clear. Like, what is no. it? Yeah. So everybody shares their story, but they've all got, yeah, they've all got different takes on it and not necessarily factual, right? Yeah. And everyone's got their, their fix and they're trying to supplement and this thing. Yeah. yeah. It's like, where's the science? It's just, just give me the information so I can, I can find out by myself, give me the references so I can like go through that and, and figure out what's happening. So it started with that, like I needed to understand and find solutions for myself. And, and because I felt let down by the, my, my doctors, um, I just wanted to be sort of armed with knowledge. So I would come to my appointment with information and uh, solid data that would just, you know, that's what I need actually, can you, can you do it? Can you do that? Can you give me that? And um, so I started this project to help other women because of that, because I was just like, this is nonsense. Like, how, how are we here now in 2022? Yeah. That we can't. 2023. Can proper information. Yeah, back then it was 2022. But yeah, yeah I was, um, so I, I wanted to, to gather and resources information for myself but also to help other women because I I was witnessing all these other women uh sharing their stories in this international group but I was like what's happening in New Zealand like where where is the situation at here and so I decided to start this group just to just to put the information that I had gathered um and trying to find other people that I could just feel less isolated yeah um, so that's what helped me and my symptoms now it's better because i've done a lo lot of research and i also linked to linda linda dear yeah, yeah. Um, that helped me a lot so that's that was like i i see the synchronicity for me because i was like ongoing trying to do something about it not just be like um crushed by the situation and being proactive helped me a lot to yeah feel like more in control of what was happening and so I advocate for myself to get the treat hormones so I'm not on the treat hormones um but it took me a while to get there like now 15 months post-surgery wow that's quite a long time yeah and there was a lot of like I see it as a it's a it's a very it's it's a lot of grieving this yeah. process because you're raving you're raving your body from before uh you have more limitations than you used to uh and also like i would have liked to go through natural menopause and see how i go but that's not gonna happen to me um also a big one for me was the fact that i i cannot have children and so that was 
that was a big one to accept. Um, yeah, so, so it took a while before I could talk about it. And it's still, still quite strange to, to admit that it is my story. Um, yeah, so what, what helped was this, a lot of research and figuring solutions for myself and requesting support. So I requested a physiotherapy to help me feel better in my body because I was limited in terms of movement and joint pain and all. And I also asked for a DEXA scan, which is the bone density. Yeah. Because I guess osteoporosis coming my way. So I'd like to see where I'm at before it goes bad, if I can keep it better. Um, what else? I went to a pelvic floor therapist. I was about to say, did you see a pelvic uh, floor therapist, physiotherapist? Yeah, 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 good. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to see her again so I can, because we recently got a nurse in the group that is a lot specialized on, on pelvic floor therapy. So she's been, like, you should go back and have you assess like properly, like physically, make sure yeah. everything's right. Um, so I went there. Um, what else did I do? I read a lot about the, it, it's, it's a tricky part, but HRT, the doses, like how high is too high, what is okay, what is not. Um, like I've read like some people saying you can go as high as you need. And then some others are like, yeah, oh, it's better. Yeah. And so it's difficult to know. Um, for, for women, I've, I've witnessed some women in natural menopause who have like um, quite high doses, like higher than mine. Yeah. <laughs> they still have ovaries and they're, they're older than me, but they have higher doses. And I'm still experiencing a lot of symptoms, like the same that I mentioned earlier. It's just a little bit less um, like I can function, like it's yeah. not as bothersome as it used to be, but it's still a daily battle for most of these things. So it's, it's like kind of have to, to deal with it and, and just accept it as it is. But I'm hopeful yeah. that um, the fatigue particularly will be resolved in a few months. Like I just started testosterone, so I'm hopeful that it's gonna wow, help. Wow, cool. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. And I talk about that with my husband, actually. We discuss testosterone mm -hmm. because it's um, like the third hormone. Um, yeah. So I'm on uh, HRT estradiol patches and I have a Myrena, so that's my progesterone. Yeah. Um, so what, if you don't mind me sharing, uh, mind sharing, what, um, what's the HRT that you're taking? Because I think it's specific to your situation. There's mm -hmm. certain ones you can have and certain ones you can't have, right? Um, so I'm on estradiol, which is the, the patch, and I'm on 125 microgram. Okay. Microgram. Yeah, so um, I was given 25 when I uh, started. But it would have done nothing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I was on that for like a good six months or yeah. 50, so that was not enough. And um, eventually pushed for 100 and, and a bit. I, I went to 150, but you have got to balance with the breast pain and all that. So it's yeah. like, what's the right um, dosage? Then I'm on uh, progesterone, so I'm taking eutrogestin, even yeah. though I don't have a uterus because I've had uh, endometriosis. 
And I was worried that because there's no cure for that. Like, so even though during the surgery they say, oh, we removed everything. I was like, I don't really want to take the chance, you know? And yeah. um, I think that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I guess it's for peace of mind just to have it. So I'm happy that it's not founded. Um, and I'm, I'm on Androfem, which is the testosterone cream that's made for women. That's yeah. a Australian product that is not um, enough available in New Zealand and that should be more available. So, yeah, yeah. Actually, all of it. <laughs> you know, there's a supply chain issue with the patches right now. So, yeah, and that's a global issue. Um, so for any listeners outside of New Zealand, this is a global podcast. Um, it's been fairly recent that uh, HRT in New Zealand is funded, which is awesome. Um, it's good recognition that there's um, that we try to support women in menopause. So we are sort of moving the needle a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And then of course the testosterone conversation. I'm hoping that in about a year, that'll just come under the same, um, yeah. same expectations if a woman goes, okay, so here are my symptoms that I would like to consider this now, add this to the, my arsenal so I can have a great life, <laughs> not an average life. You you know? Yeah. So we're all working hard in the background and your conversation is going to be a game changer for a lot of people. And I think there'll be stories, people that will see their story and yours as well, Emily. So, um, yeah, what advice have you got for others? Wow. Big question. <laughs> Uh, well, I'd say, first of all, that would be if you don't need to remove the ovaries, keep them um, unless it's absolutely necessary. These are precious little things and you want to keep them. Um, if you have to, uh, if the doctor is telling you to remove them, I would say um, do your research, ask questions. Uh, don't be shy to ask for a second opinion. Just make sure because you, you can't go back. Once it's gone, it's gone. So you better be sure that it is the right um, treatment for you. Um, after that, I would suggest that these women have um, some preparation before the surgery. So go and see a medical specialist before the surgery that can walk you through what's going to happen to you and what sort of treatment you could get. and. Because there are some, like now it's less the case, but there, there are also some fees that are uh, uh, linked to HRT and extra supplements and all this stuff that you're going to need extra. And so that's something to consider as well. Um, I would have um, booked a sort of a plan for the after. Yeah. Um, so support, obviously, because at least six weeks of recovery when you get hysterectomy and or with, uh, well, in this case, it's like you're going to be vital ophorectomy, which is uh, the ovaries removal. Um, so yeah, join a support group would be good. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to put the link to your, your Facebook group in the show notes for the podcast episode so that people can find you and know that they're going to get mm -hmm. really good science-based information. Thank you, Emily. Yeah. Also, I would say to have a pelvic floor assessment. So that's one of the, the nurses uh, suggested that would be good. So you know where where you're at before you have the surgery, and so that just preparing yourself 
and making sure that your body is in a good place because that's going to be hard on the recovery and um once you go through it you have to be like kind to yourself because you're going to be all over the place in your mind and your body and you it's going to take time it's really will like in my case i i've seen that many many women saying that it can take 12 to 18 months to get to a sort of a normal again it's not the old normal it's a new normal yeah it's it's it takes this time to recover um so you need to have a talk with your your partner your children if you have any your family your work your employer just to discuss like this is what's gonna happen so you know be prepared and yeah and also sadly still um you might have to advocate for yourself so um to get the proper uh care you need so don't yeah just brave yourself it might be, be brave yeah that, but there there are solutions it's just you need to find them and yeah. adjusting your your hrt or any alternative you might need um is doable it's just it it takes time and so yeah. you're not alone in this basically yeah. well that's the big message and mm -hmm. emily you've done 17 months now 15 15, 15. oh 15 yep okay and that's right and um look you're telling your story and mm. i think you know that that's huge i think just you know us spending time having a chat that's another milestone to recovery yeah. because you've now you, there'll, be, there'll be women all over the world that that will just be you know like oh wow that's my story you know and want to reach out in your community and um and i think the thing that you say about advocating for yourself and make sure that you know if you even have a question come up no matter how dumb you think it sounds mm -hmm. it's worth asking right because if doctors aren't forthcoming with all the information then yeah. that question could be the most important question <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. Like, it's not because the um like i don't think the doctors are ill-intentioned like no and they, they, they don't know worked. like my gp is, is is great but she doesn't have the time and resources to do research on this topic so i have to come up with the research and show her and she she will be open-minded to to do something about it but they they don't have the capacity to to do the work so we have to we are responsible for our own health in the end so that's that's a big lesson that i've learned that i have to take my health into my own hands and do something about it. Yeah. I'm proud of you, Emily. Oh, thank you. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I've learned a ton. I had no idea. And um, yeah, it's, it's not a shock to me, <laughs> the situation. It's happening all over the world. And um, I think, you know, we just got to help one another, support one another and educate ourselves, as you mentioned, advocate for yourself, get as much information as you can. Podcasts yeah. like this and there's other resources um, are obviously good places to start. But, you know, Facebook communities are awesome. Just be really discerning, eh? right? Be discerning about where you're getting information. Like you say, oftentimes people will go, I tried this supplement and I tried this snake oil and I tried. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So I will be definitely supporting your Facebook community. 
putting it in the show notes. And once again, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Uh, um, I appreciate it. And I hope, I'm really hopeful that uh, within the, the coming months, there's going to be a, a website launched on this topic with, um, in collaboration with Linda, we, we want to work on a booklet to inform women. So yeah, that's it. things are happening. We're yeah. not letting them down and we're, we're taking charge. Yeah, I love that. And just for the listeners, we've talking, we've spoken of a lady called Linda. She's Dr. Linda Deer, and she is the next guest on the podcast, and she will be covering off surgical menopause. So that will be dropping sometime at the end of February. Um, but yeah, so we cover the whole issue. <laughs> Thanks again, Emily. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thanks for tuning into this episode and thanks to my guest for the inspo. If you're enjoying this content, then consider following, rating and reviewing so that more people can find the sexy aging life. Peace out.